Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the comics released on the 17th of July 2019, but first, we are in the midst of the rollout of San Diego Comic-Con information, so uh, we should admit this is not being recorded at the end of San Diego, so we only have some of the DC announcements, but let's get into those announcements. Um, there's going to be a new Birds of Prey series. Written by Brian Azzarello, illustrated by Emmanuel Lupacchino. Uh, this, of course, is going to be a more film-friendly version. So the the lineup is Harley Quinn, uh, Black Canary, and Huntress. And Renee Montoya is a major part of the book as well. Although it appears that she is just going to be uh, in her Detective Montoya persona, not as the question. Um to me, Azarello is a very weird fit for this. What do you guys think? It's like he couldn't get Suicide Squad, so he got <laughs> the next closest thing in terms of DCU properties. In terms of Harley Quinn? Yeah, in terms of Harley Quinn. He got <laughs> Harley Quinn. Um, my question is if he'll continue the legacy that uh, Rob Williams started and have someone vomit in every issue. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <sighs> Vince, what do you think about this? I don't know why I like when I see Brian Azzarello's name, I associate it with, with warm feelings, even though I'm pretty sure the <laughs> same, you know, same. What I mean? you know what yeah, I mean? so I'm like, like, Oh, this is a good book. Yeah. It's, the only thing I've ever liked is the Wonder Woman run, I think, unless I'm forgetting something. Um, um, that plus years, I think, of just seeing his name critically acclaimed, you know, like 100 <laughs> Bullets and... Um, sure, sure. Right. Which uh, I haven't read. I haven't read I've not bullets. read. Yeah, I've not read it either, so... But even that, like, like yeah, it's like critically acclaimed somewhat, but I, I hear lots of people talk about how it's it's not actually that good. Mm-hmm. So you know who knows. I someday someday when you know after Hellblazer maybe that'll be my next. <laughs> it all depends on on the you know what the winds of change bring. But uh, but for some to finish my answer, uh, for some reason I see his name and I associate it with quality. But I think you're right, Zach. That has more to do with like name recognition and like. Um, st- stuff he's done in the past more so than anything recent. Um, but I guess what that means is that I don't think this book is automatically doomed to be bad. <laughs> I I don't think it's a it, it's it's an interesting fit. I wouldn't have called Azarello and Wonder Woman a good fit until I read the the run and really liked it. So I know I like Lupacino's art. And, you know, maybe they'll make some magic happen, but I'm not, I guess going into it, if we come out with a decent book, I will be pleasantly surprised and happy about it, but I'm not going to expect, I mean, I I have no expectations for it. I guess it's just, to me, it's a weird book to put Azarello on because I don't know what it is about his, his past work that that would inspire DC to try this? I mean, I, I, I don't think in I don't think in his Wonder Woman run 
he necessarily wrote female characters all that well. Like, I, I just think that his Wonder Woman run was not particularly, like, I, I don't... How can I put this? Um, I don't think that Wonder Woman's femininity, femininity played that huge of a role in it. Does that make sense? Like, The Birds of Prey mm-hmm. is a historically feminine book with an all-female team. The Wonder Woman book much more dealt with godhood than gender. And I just feel like Azarello is not the most nuanced writer out there. And I don't know how he's going to handle the nuance of writing an all-female team. Well, apparently he's writing erotic comics these days. So Yes, he is. You know, maybe, maybe he'll surprise us. Oh boy! Uh, I, I think we can all agree that Lupacino is a good fit. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. Um, all right, well let, let's let's keep the the hits on coming. Uh, the Batman's Grave, a new twelve issue maxi series by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Vince, since you love that Warren Ellis Batman story where he blew shit up all the time, <laughs> I figure you're on board for this, right? Uh, oh, you mean the best non-Bendis Batman story of the last uh, three years? Fuck you. <laughs> no, um, I, I'm very excited for this, and not just because Ellis. Now, Ellis is somebody whose name I associate with quality because of a Azarello-like status in the industry. Except I actually like pretty much everything Ellis has done, um, but with his recent 12 issue Hawkman run, I really regained an appreciation for Brian Hitch who I had kind of soured on over the last, I would say three to four years prior to Hawkman. Yeah. I agree with that. Just because I felt like, you know, a lot of his artistic tricks were, he's pulling from the same bag of tricks all the time. Right. But I thought that, Hawkman, you know, it was very much a Brian Hitch uh, art book, but but there was like, there was some soul to it, and you know that extended to the art, and I think uh, Kevin Nolan's inks—he's inking this, right? Yes, he is. I think that's gonna make a big difference, and so I'm really excited to see more Hitch work again, which is something that I, I. I, I didn't know if I would ever say again because I, I used to be a fan and then kind of drifted away and not. So I, I think that's a one-two punch that's as good as you can get at DC right now, as far as the creative team's concerned. What do you think in terms of? Because um, I think it's very the Elseworlds concept thing. Well, I, I think it's very odd that this is not a black label book. Doesn't this scream black label to you? Uh, yeah, actually, kind of. It does. Um... Uh, yeah, I guess it does, un- unless Ellis, unless Ellis made a conscious decision to say this is going to be PG thirteen. Well, but it's it is kind of interesting to me, interesting to me that they specifically use the term Elseworld. Yeah. When's the last time they've said that? You know, we're going to get into a, a line here in a minute that is, you know, ostensibly Elseworld, but it has a different a different banner. Right. 
Do you think they're? Do you think we're gonna see an Elseworlds banner? That or they're, would or be they're only great. Get, or, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, I can't or imagine they... we're gonna see an Elseworlds banner, but that would be dope if we did. You know what though? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we did for this one reason. We've seen a lot of, I guess, mostly from Rich, to be fair. But no, actually, from other, I think some other sources have reported on this too that uh, DC's um, trade backlog is kind of stagnant. They're not, it's not as strong as it used to, as it once was. Um, and like traditionally, Elseworlds have been those evergreen books that do really well. And I could see along with Black Label kind of, returning to the elseworlds thing just as a man uh, just as a, a means to build up their back catalog again that's interesting did elseworld yeah. i mean i i don't know if we can know the answer to this if elseworlds ever particularly sold well well i mean i think things like um you know kingdom come is a perennial you know, bestseller, uh, Superman, Secret Identity um, is another one. Um, but then you get into the distinction of like, well, Kingdom Come has its own Earth now, whereas yeah. like, whereas like other uh, some of these other stories don't didn't get their own Earth. That's true. That's true. But I think the only reason Kingdom Come got its own Earth is because it was so popular. You know, I think yeah, I think we yeah. can look at some of like the, the most well-known Elseworld books ended up getting their own Earths, right? And um, in a lot of cases, you know, like the Gotham the Vampire Batman, yeah, Gotham by Gaslight, um, yeah, they're just easy books to to package and sell because they're usually standalone. Um, you get a complete story. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. Um, I mean, are, are you Zach? Are, are you excited about this book? Uh, yeah, I, I actually am. I, I, you know, really like Ellis, and I'm excited to see him work with Hitch again. Um, you know, I love the Authority, so I know that they can do really good work together. Um. Part of me wants this to be some kind of weird backdoor Wildstorm tie-in thing <laughs> just because of the team. I, well, I don't expect it to be, but... Walt with had the told way- me that there's a, a very... A, I, I am I am pretty Wildstorm ignorant in my life, but there's an Ellis-written Batman authority issue? There's a Batman planetary, planetary, planetary issue. Sorry, yeah. Yes, planetary issue. So. You know, with the way that with the way that Michael Cray was written with all the alternate versions of these characters, don't you think that maybe, maybe that's more of a possibility than you think? Maybe I would love if that was, if that was a twist. Yeah. That would be the best. <laughs> Cause did we see Bruce Wayne as part of that? They, they maybe mentioned um, his name. I don't think so. I don't remember. I can't remember either. I, I don't know if I'm if I'm excited about this book. I like that they're getting Warren Ellis to do more DC work. That excites me. Yeah. And um, you know, this is certainly a good team and I'll give it a shot, but I'm just tired of Batman stuff. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> Rob Liefeld was right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I hadn't even really thought about that. I am too, but much in the way that I actually get really excited about the Bendis Batman book, I, I, I think I think about this. I lump this into the same category. Yeah, sure. Just based on the creative team. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun, just to see what, what they do, in this realm. So, I'm, I guess I'm on board. Uh, the other big series announcement so far is a new Metal Men series, um, featuring a new Metal Man, which is the Nth Metal Man. Uh, this Can't year. believe it's taken that long yeah, for, I, for us to get that. I agree with that. Uh, written by Dan DiDio, of course, and illustrated by Shane Davis. Um, <laughs> I do think the idea of an Nth Metal Man is pretty brilliant. And like you said, Zach, I'm shocked it took us this long to to get there. But I think it's actually a pretty fun concept. What do you guys think of this? Yeah, I... <laughs> I kind of bristle at, at Dan DiDio writing a book. Um, I have one word for you. OMAC? Yep. That's a, that's that's four words. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's one acronymed word. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, as usual, I'm somewhere between the two of you. Um, I think OMAC was only as good as it was. Okay, not only. Uh, DiDio... The Dio's contributions there were good, but Giffen's art is what really got it, I think. Are you saying Giffen Shane and Davis is no Keith Giffen? Yeah, I am saying that 100%. <laughs> um, yeah. If, if they could just, I don't, I said this when the Dio did that Infinity Man book. Do you remember? And the, the Forever People. You uh-huh. remember that? Yeah. Yep. The New 52 why i well okay so i think giffen was on like the first few issues of that and then he was not um but if those two could just do that style of book all the time then i think it would be good so if if their whole job was just being fake kirby yes yes let them do that i'm fine with that because i feel like i feel like what this is going to be is two two and a half issues of Shane Davis then V Ken uh, Marion <laughs> well yes. then V then V Ken Marion or or the guy that is doing Hawkman now um Will Conrad yeah oh you know some fill in like that it's going to be it's 12 issues which is nine issues too long <laughs> you know you know what i mean like and 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 by by issue seven we're gonna be like it's it's going to be the raven daughter of darkness of whatever point in time that's gonna be oh i don't think it's even gonna take that long (laughs) well you know what i mean (laughs) that's uh no matter what book you're talking about when you compare it to Raven Daughter of Narcos, it gets sad real quick. <laughs> all that said, all that said, I, I know that Didio loves the metal men. Yes. And and sometimes like 
pure love of a character can translate into a fun book. I just think like, I think that based on DC's track record and the type of maxi series that they are setting this up to be, it's just going to, you know, maybe the first issue is entertaining and a couple issues in, we're going to be like, Oh, we, why is this? Yeah, we get it. This is, you know, it's going to be one story, 12 issues entirely too long way too much dialogue, <laughs> you know. That was the great thing about OMAC. I felt like there wasn't too much dialogue, you know. Agreed, yes. It was very much in that Marvel style, it seemed, where, like, the artist was doing a lot of the storytelling work in the art and the structure, and then, you know, maybe DiDio was writing around it, and it really worked. It was It was brisk, and it was usually fun. I wish they would take that same approach, even if they're not the same creative team. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I am glad that they're doing something with the Metal Men because I like those characters. Um, I actually just finished reading the uh, Wonder Woman War of the Gods crossover, and mm. that book did the most interesting thing with the Metal Men that I've seen in a long time, which is that essentially they have to recreate captain marvel in the abstract and so each metalman gets uh imbued with the power of one of the gods uh and yes. that was, that's super fun you know i wish they did more of that kind of stuff with the metalman so i look forward to a uh, a new idea here and hopefully it's uh it's something that's worth reading but i guess we'll see uh some other announcements that have been uh rolled out over the course of this week uh, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, a new series of one-shots. They are uh, oversized 48-page one-shots that deal with Dark Multiverse versions of famous DC stories. The first two are a Nightfall story and a Death of Superman yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Superman story is written by uh, Jeff Loveness with art by Brad Walker and Andrew Hennessy. And the Nightfall one is written by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins with art by Javi Fernandez. And uh, yeah, that's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. What do you guys think of this as another sort of Elseworlds type, type book? I love Nightfall, as you guys know. Oh, we know, yeah. Um, so I'm excited that... I'm I'm glad that it's so fresh in my mind too because I'm I'm gonna be excited to see like the little things that they pull out that I recognize that they subvert. That's exactly how I feel about the death of Superman because I read that not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. see, that, that's when I have less of a connection to. But I'm uh I'm like very much over the dark multiverse as a concept. I think just because of all of the the sameness of the Batman one shots. But I and. and I'm not super interested in getting like super grim reimaginings of these stories, but at the same time, I am really excited to revisit these books, especially some of the other ones that they announced. Mm-hmm. They announced uh, uh, Blackest Night, Infinite Crisis, and the Judas Contract. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for Infinite Crisis and and Blackest Night, but I think the the pitches for these uh, two, the death of Superman and nightfall sound really interesting. They're really cool ideas. Mm-hmm. St. Batman. I know. <laughs> Son of Bane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
that's that's the great thing about these. Like, set aside how you feel about the dark multiverse or whether you're sick of it or not. I think that's a legitimate criticism, but I also think that if you dismiss these out of hand, there's something like they they don't they revisit the themes of these stories a lot. But how often does DC actually revisit actual issues of a comic that you're going to, you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm the way I envision it is that like the, the Batman nightfall one, for example, the, the whole comic is basically going to be retelling, not probably not all, but like a significant part of the nightfall story. And one of our criticisms of the, the dark multiverse stories in the past has been like, Oh, we're seeing Bruce Wayne's origin again with a little tweak here, <laughs> you know? Yep. Well, I have no interest in seeing that done ever again, but I do have interest in seeing twists done to stories that they don't literally revisit, you know, several times a year. Right. You and know? Not, not only that, but when you look at the, um, the death of Superman one, for instance, a grieving Lois Lane becomes the eradicator. Oh, hell yeah. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that is a really fun concept. You know, son of Bane, like you said, these are, these are not just retellings They're To me, it seems like they're going to be jumping off points that the death of Superman and nightfall kind of happened in similar ways, but the fallout was totally different. And that's a mm. lot of fun. For sure. I love that they're also doing dollar reprints of corresponding issues. Yes. Agreed. Which, which leads me to believe that even more that these, um, tales from the dark, dark multiverse comics are going to be highly specific, uh, subversions of these specific issues. You know, I could be wrong, but it would seem that they're setting it up that way. Yes. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated to see how long it takes for these to get... Um, how can I put this? I, I feel like this is a really fun novel concept. How many issues in are we going to be? All right, enough of these. Yeah. <laughs> After nightfall, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be good. My belly will be full. Um, all right. Uh, last two things that were announced thus far that we didn't talk about last week. Um, there's going to be a Joker year, the villain one shot co-written by John Carpenter of Halloween fame and Anthony Birch illustrated by Philip Tan and Mark Deering. Um, any thoughts on John Carpenter writing a Joker book? No, not a, not a single thought. <laughs> I I saw that Newsarama updated their six Jokers story to be seven Jokers after this got announced. <laughs> yes, so there's they that. Did. Yes, that, they did. Yeah, I think um, attributing part of the Joker story to John Carpenter is a like something that the automation behind the Joker's trick Twitter account would come up with. <laughs> that is very true. Yes. Yeah, that that John Carpenter invented the Joker in 1983 or something like that, and not not a real book that's actually going to be happening in real life. <laughs> no, he's getting his mojo back. Did you see that? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, but a lot of good Austin Powers Twitter stuff lately. 
for saying. sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you want to know how I lost my mojo? <laughs> uh, you know, our friend Walter Richardson recently asked if 9-11 happened in the Austin Powers universe. Uh, <laughs> to which I replied, yeah, baby. <laughs> so, you are history's greatest monster. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, come on, that he left that wide open for me. If I didn't get there first, you would have been there a minute later. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you would have been. You would have been. Uh, and then finally, there is a Black Adam versus the Shazam who laughs. One shot as part of the year of the villain. Written by Paul Jenkins, the returning Paul Jenkins, and Anaki Miranda. I think that's a pretty fun team. Uh, I'm still not sure how this Shazam who laughs is going to go. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm on board for it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know either. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Keep an open mind, I guess. Yeah. I, I do appreciate that DC is trying to do some stuff with Shazam and not just make it like a... Uh, and not just making my. I was just telling the boys, you know, I, I'm currently rereading all of the post crisis Shazam stuff for a multiversity column. And for so long, he was just there in the background to remind people that he indeed existed. And so it's, uh, it's nice to see him having a role in the wider DC universe, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the San Diego Comic Con news. Um, Shall we take a quick break? At least so far that we know of. Yes, we know of. There will likely be more as soon as we're done recording this. I'm sure they will announce, you know, uh, Neil Gaiman doing a new Sideways series or something. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of the biggest creator and the smallest property to come up with. So there we go. Uh, but let's take a break and we'll return in just a moment with our reviews of the comics from this week. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Klaus' Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with our reviews of some comicking books. The first one being Aquaman number 50. The, uh, the return of Aquaman to sort of somewhat regular continuity, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick illustrated by Robinson Roca and uh, with uh, he is an assist here from Eduardo Pansica. I feel like those two go together quite a bit. Um, but they share some other bylines. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And I think, I think they fit pretty well together, even though I think Robson's work is stronger. Agreed. Yes. Here, but I think stylistically, they're pretty easy to swallow next to one another. Agreed, yes. That makes sense. Um, before we get too deep into this, I just want to shout out that this is one of the best written Dianas we've got in a very long time. 
Absolutely. That speech that she gives about, uh, uh, like, how she's going to go talk to Arthur and what we what we do for uh, visitors from a strange land, yep. you know? Uh-huh. Oh, and then man. And then stopping that to help the little boy who fell down. Yep. With the cake. Like, it's just, it's, as much as I criticized uh, DeConnick last time for her sort of instantly changing Arthur into Jason Momoa, which is somewhat present here as well this week, her Diana is spot on. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of this issue overall? Zach, why don't you start? Um, I thought it was fun. Um, I actually liked it quite a bit in that it a lot of ways felt like a solid extension of Abnett's run. Yes. Um, it was nice to have those threads kind of coming back together again. Um, and I, I didn't think, I thought Arthur's characterization was pretty good here. Uh, Diana, you know, definitely. So, um, I'm interested in this big extended cast that the book has now. Um, that's really cool and good. Um, kind of gives me vibes of Azarello's Wonder Woman run a little bit um, with these like otherworldly god characters. It gives me Studio Ghibli vibes. I can oh the seaside stuff, yeah, like, yeah. Being, like uh, being on the on the ocean and it gives and bringing, me Studio bringing... 60 on the Sunset Strip vibes. <laughs> are the very model of a modern network tv show <laughs> yes of course i believe that's how that went yeah. <laughs> that's terrible um well that's... done brian thanks Thank for you. derailing that <laughs> well a... i have to <laughs> understand <laughs> at least every third reference you guys make so i have to throw in some shit sometimes oh brian stole 30 pies that's three <laughs> tens three and times. that's terrible that terrible yes <laughs> uh he's pulling the joker's boner over here <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but just, yeah, just like these, like, these, like weird little hermit gods, uh, coming into Amnesty Bay on a ship, they just, they give me those like Miyazaki vibes so much. Like I feel like in Miyazaki movies, there's often a little old lady that looks very much like, Oh uh, yeah. Like we are, you know, these characters. Her name's Wee, right? The old mm-hmm. lady. Yes, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Keep um, going. Oh no, that that's a very good uh, good point to make. Very good call. Um, I liked the stuff with Mara a lot. Yeah. Um, she's a ocean socialist. Yeah. She's yeah. a McVulcan and honest man. Finally. <laughs> this is a really political book. Does um, he get the not... smash? That's what I want to know. I hope so. <laughs> No. Volko deserves it. Willem Dafoe deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, what was I going to say? Oh, I was talking about how political this book gets. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Some won't. Yes. It's good. It is good. Um, and then, I mean... Can we talk about 
can we talk about two things? One, this book does the thing that we hate. Which is uh, on the cover, talk about something that only happens in the last page. That, yeah. Okay. Um, but it didn't spoil the thing that happens right before that, which is yeah. good. Which was uh, legitimately, legitimately surprising to me, even though I think a few months ago somewhere uh, Kelly Sue mentioned that they were going to use him, but but she never said where, and I don't believe any of the solicitations or anything spoiled it. Yeah, I I didn't know that this was coming either. I don't remember seeing it. I haven't paid super close attention to the Aquaman solicits, but uh, Jackson Hyde is back. He's good again. He is good, He's good again. again. We haven't seen him since the end of Ben Percy's Teen Titans. Right, and here he is styled much more in the Brightest Day style mm-hmm. than he was at the end of Ben Percy's run. Like he yes. had very short hair, and it was bleached, whereas this looks like, uh, you know, the Jeff Johns version of the character. This pull looks like he was pulled right out of Brightest Day. Maybe he was. That's the oh, twist. Ooh, that would be. <laughs> he got he got arrested by the continuity police, and that's oh, why he's at the. That would be like in uh, how in Final Crisis they had that fake Aquaman that came <laughs> because yeah. real Aquaman was dead. Yes. Teen um, Titans. Jackson Hyde was the fake one. Yeah. So I, I did want to say, you know. Um, I stand by my this doesn't really feel like Arthur statement still like so that there's that kid whose name is Royal. I can only think the incontinuity. This is young Gene Hackman from the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> um, but like so he walks in the house and Arthur goes, what? Like it just it it doesn't at all read the way Aquaman has read for quite some time. But he's uh, he's playing around with the kid, though. He is. But still, but Arthur Arthur's been a, a notoriously humorless character for some time now. I like this Arthur better, goddammit. I'm, I'm not saying, I, I was just going to say, I don't dislike this Arthur. I just think that the tonal shift is a bit abrupt. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily even say that, like, Johns wrote him humorously, humorlessly. Um, I feel like he just brooded through all of John's book. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I feel like that was because like, they were trying to reestablish him as a serious character and not a joke and so they had to double down on that well i think vince and i are just going to double down on liking this so <laughs> you're like i i don't think it's bad i just think it's a little bit odd but that's okay i thought that scene with the kid was really charming it is charming it just doesn't feel like arthur but i'm that's the last <laughs> thing i'm going to say about this so all right he's he he's, has the personality he, of like a, a an old like sea captain, I feel like you know he's just be warned, kinda... be uh, fair warned, be these as I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a good, he's a good cereal boy now, and he pours um, milk, milk on, on his cake. cake. So it's fucked up. So you shut up about him, Brian. Have you ever poured milk on cake? I have. Have you really? Sure. Is it any good? I've never done it. Well, you don't want to use you don't want to use as much as the art in this comic is showing. <laughs> so you don't want to, you don't want to drown in a milk. Is what you're saying? Are you talking about like like a tres leches cake or no? Not even. I had that too, but like well, that's delicious. Everyone yeah. does that. Come on. 
But the, but the, like like a good chocolate cake, if you just put milk on it, a little bit, just a little layer of milk at the bottom of a bowl, just just very little bit, it works, man. This is a, this is okay. some Wisconsin shit right here. <laughs> we do love our dairy. Yeah, we're America's Dairyland, don't you know? I'm aware. Don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> uh, overall, though, I feel like this. One of our criticisms with Deconic's first arc was that it felt very detached from the Abnet stuff, and this seems to go a long way to bring some of that back while still giving the book its own unique feel. So I'm in favor of this. This is good stuff. Yeah, I loved when that 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 uh, that lady cop, uh, Erica Watson, I believe is her name, mm -hmm. if I can remember, uh, sees Arthur coming and runs up to the window. You know, that's such a that's a very like Disney moment too. Come to think of it, it's like a Miyazaki Disney whimsical like he's he's back. You know, <laughs> like run to the windows, the birds all flutter, the fish are to the walls even. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> It's a lot like when Matthew Perry returns to write for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and brings back his uh, his his acclaimed Crazy Christian sketch that got cut early on. What are we doing? <laughs> We're doing our show. Something, something, D.L. Hughley. <laughs> something, something. Um, Nate Cordry. Uh, Nate Cordry, fuck you. Me to it. There we go. <laughs> Something, something, Lucy from the British office. Uh, in the pilot is Judd Hirsch. Okay, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you sounded like you were, that was like part of a poem or something. No. In the pilot is Judd Hirsch. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's part of my epic poem, Studio 60, which is 400 lines long and goes through the entire history of the show. Including the I call a divine comedy, <laughs> including the absolutely unbelievable bit how Nate Cordry's parents had never heard who's on first before, and so he <laughs> buys them a vinyl record of it. Um, it's a thing that you happens. Remember, in the show. You remember way more about this uh, <laughs> forgettable one season on a uh, dare. On a dare, I rewatched it a couple summers ago. So. Oh who right. dared you to do that? The fucking devil? <laughs> yes. Yes, let's just go with that. It was a real devil went down to Georgia situation. <laughs> but he said he bet he bet my soul against the fiddle of gold. I couldn't watch all of Studio 60 without barfing. And I went I said, uh, take that back, you son of a bitch. I'm the best it's ever been. So all right. Let's get back to some shitty comics with Batman number 75, written by Tom King, illustrated by Tony Daniel. Um, this the is devil went back to Georgia with a box set of the newsroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well played. Um, so this comic is one giant jerk off hand motion. Uh, I'm sorry. What, what are you talking about? Batman. Oh. Who do you want to go first? Zach, you go first. I don't know if I want to go first. Oh. Uh, do I have to go first? Uh, I think you have to go first. I, okay. Zach, you said you had some thoughts. You texted us and said, I read this and I have thoughts. Yes, you did. Give us those thoughts. I liked this. <laughs> I liked oh, this man. and I... Th 
think that this is so here here I read this issue and then I after reading this issue I thought I could make a Brian Salvatore Weezer album out of Tom King's run. <laughs> and this this would be in it. <sighs> and it would be good. I, I I was think I actually gave it some thought. I would have everything up to the button. Not all of that is great, but I think it's necessary. Up up the button. Thank you. Um, not all of that is good, but I think it's necessary. And then I would have the, the like double date uh, Joel Jones stuff. And then after that, I probably wouldn't have anything until the wedding issue. I'd cut out everything. Mm-hmm. And then and after then, that, after that, you'd cut a bunch too, I imagine. Yeah, I would do the uh, Lee Weeks arc. And then I think I would cut everything after that. Mm-hmm. Up to this. Up to, up to, not quite to this. I'd probably include some of the, like, uh, whatever that last arc was, the, the Fallen arc. Yeah. Because I think that is crucial for this. But you do that, and then you have some semblance of a story that is paced better and makes logical sense to a degree it flows much better because i think that this story is not a like bad story it's actually kind of fun in some dumb ways like having the joker and the riddler as two b cops and hugo strange is the new commissioner and the ventriloquist is the new alfred and I don't disagree with that sort of as an overarching concept, but I think it's so unearned in this run. Uh, maybe, but I kind of think this is... <sighs> it. I, I'm going to echo what Zach said in some ways. It At some point, it should have just jumped to this, but it should have done it about 30, 40, 50 issues earlier. <laughs> I'm serious. This is, uh, with the exception of one thing about this issue that I'm going to have you guys guess what it is because you you got to know what I'm talking about. I loved this issue. And, Brian, you're right. It's not earned, but I'd rather, I'd rather read a great issue of a comic like this. I'd rather have it jump to this and have it make no sense than read, like, the 30 or 40 issues that came before this most of which just sucked ass, okay. you know? I, I, I will I will concede that point, that this is more interesting than whatever was going on for the last year and a half in this book or whatever the case may be. But I don't necessarily think that this has anything, like, tonally to do with the first 74 issues of this book. Oh, I mean, with, with the exception of a small handful of them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and to me, it just seems like a. Um, it's not going to go as far as an Elseworlds book should go. And so it's going to feel half baked at the end of it. I don't think it's. I don't think. No, I, I don't. I'm not thinking about it as Elseworlds at all. But no, what I'm saying is you can have more fun with a story that isn't. That doesn't have to adhere to some sort of 
like pre-existing structure or continuity. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't know that that's what I want out of this. I want it to go more nuts. Is my point? I think this could go nuts. I think it's pretty nuts already. This I is think, like a I new no is, man's land. Yes, I think this is everything that we have been asking for. Think about how often we talk about like, um, you know, alternate versions of things, and like what we guessed the, the last time we talked about Batman on this show, we essentially guessed that this was where the plot was going, pretty much to a T, and. I think in some ways, I mean, I, I won't speak for both of you, but for me, that was kind of wish fulfillment. Like, I wanted it to be Thomas that comes out of the hole, and I want to live a little bit with Thomas as Batman in Gotham. I love when comics fuck things up for a short period of time, and then there's a, then there's a, a rise and fall. Tom King has been talking about, like, the fall and the rise on social media and stuff like that for the longest time because he's been writing this book for three years now. And you're right, Brian, so much of his talk about this book has been unearned. But but now here it is. If I isolate this issue and I say, here's the fall of, of Batman and here's where he comes back and triumphs with Catwoman in his stead, like, this is what I want. This is what I want my Batman to be. <laughs> and, uh, and, like, I, I think... Better late than never. It doesn't it certainly doesn't redeem his run in any way. This has been a dog shit run of on Batman for sure. But if I can start here at issue 75, and if if they maintain this level of quality slash uh inventiveness slash fun, this is like uh Tom King having fun with these characters in a way that he hasn't before. Like, think about all the, the double murder of Dr. Double X stuff at the beginning of this issue. Mm-hmm. That That is embracing something about Batman's history that I feel like King has been reluctant to play with, I think. You know? I, we talk about how his Batman feels like... Um, like the Dark Knight Batman mixed with, at weird times, uh, Adam West, the Adam West Batman, mm-hmm. like at just really random, inappropriate, ineffectual times. This I feel hues a lot closer to the Silver Age, sort of uh, like maybe maybe pre uh, Denny O'Neill Batman stuff, but then like then like merging into the Denny O'Neill stuff. It's, it's more along those lines in the way that it, it embraces the weirdness of these characters. It's funny that you mentioned that because there are times in this issue that I feel are almost Morrisonian in like, I can see that this is the closest I think King has gotten to that. Yeah. Can you guys guess? I mean, the thing Joker, about Joker thing. is Oberyn Sexton right now. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Can you guys uh, no, guess the I, I don't think I, I can it? guess the thing. I don't know. There were a lot of problems I had with this book, so I'm not sure which one was the one that you had. Well, Gotham Girls dialogue is execrable. Oh, it's it's terrible. <laughs> it's the worst fucking shit I've ever read. It's that, the worst yeah. of Tom King. Yeah, I agree. Yes. And, and he knows he's doing it, and he's got to stop. There's no human being on Earth who talks like this. And you and... should stop. Cool. 
Yeah. Yep. Yes. There. There you go. Tom King. Stop. Cool. <laughs> um, I don't understand where this comes from because I like. Oh, it's like a crime. It should be like a crime to write like that. Um, basically, like you know how annoying Dick Grayson is when Tom King writes him, in, in as Batman's sidekick. It's like. And he, he basically says so in the dialogue that Gotham girl is replacing that and she has to figure out how to be Robin. And so it's to be like Batman, but not all the way. And so she's going to talk while she fights. It's like as she's doing it, she's commenting on how fucking annoying she is. But even Tom King can't imagine how annoying he's being, you know, it's, it's the worst, some of the worst dialogue I've ever seen on the page. Um, and you don't think the dialogue between Alfred and Thomas is similarly bad? No, it's great. Uh, it's yeah, great. I think when he I'm says, I'm sorry that. for what he's going to do to you when he gets back, come on. That part is fine. It's the way that Thomas talks to Alfred. I mean, like what? Let me pull it up now. I'm not trying to defend Tom King. I mean... I just think like it's a it's a tightrope walk, right? Like I think comics should embrace like what Morrison does is he embraces the weirdness and the silliness of comics. And with this issue, Tom King walks that tightrope instead of avoiding it. You know, no, he won't. Not this time. He's broken. We broke him. I'm sorry. It's that staccato bullshit he does that I can't stand. I don't think that's, yeah, I don't really think that that's, I think that is, that reasonably sounds like a person talking, though. <laughs> oh, it's not as bad as the Gotham Girl stuff, but it's still pretty bad. See, okay, see, here's my whole problem with this, right? I think that this is a fun concept. I think it could be a really good, we keep using the word Elseworlds this week, but like, I don't even mean Elseworlds, it's just, it's a fun story, right, to have... To have Gotham totally flipped on its ear like this and having the villains be the police force and all of that, I think that's a very fun concept. I could, There's a lot of fun to be mined from that. I think that you guys are falling for the... No, that's, that's unfair. I don't want to, I don't want to, to say that you're doing anything you're not doing. It feels to me like this is all about the concept and not about the comic itself. Because I don't think the comic itself is all that good, you know. To to keep on the Aaron Sorkin tip we're on tonight, the Joe, the like story about the farmer who lost his horse, that's lifted directly from Charlie Wilson's War, which is written by uh, Aaron Sorkin. That exact story <laughs> yeah, wow. is told in that in that movie. Uh, I just Holy watched. Crap. I just watched it on cable the other night, so I remember this. Um, but just like R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Absolutely, and he's the one who tells the story actually in the uh, in the film. But well, farmers. Have horse, and... <laughs> uh, but yeah. So it's it's definitely a um, it's definitely a uh, a good concept. That I just think is not a very good comic. I think the concept is so fun that it's easy to forget how shitty King's writing is, and I just I don't think that the various pieces of it necessarily fit together in a fun way. I. I don't know. It just it's, 
bringing Psycho Pirate in after hinting at Psycho Pirate for all of Heroes in Crisis and not delivering it, but bringing a Psycho Pirate in here, it just feels it just feels cheap. He does a shitty Solomon Grundy. He does a really shitty Gotham Girl. It just, like I said, I think the concept is fun, but the comic isn't. Hmm. I I think that this issue is better than anything in the Tomasi tech run so far. Oh, that's I mean that's not hard. That's not a tough bar to cross. There. Well, but I think it is considering how much we've disliked Tom King Batman. Uh, I I like this issue. I will also say that I I typically do not like Tony Daniels' art. I think it's very stiff, and I think this issue is a very stiff visual issue as well. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think the actually some of the only times that I like Daniels is on Batman books. Uh, he also does a, an incredibly lazy thing which I noticed cuz it's funny to me. You know the meme where someone like keeps zooming in on a photo? <laughs> Yeah. If you go to page thirty-three, there's a, a it's Joker and Riddler, and they're sitting at desks, and behind them is Harvey Bullock, who's handcuffed. That's just, Mitch. That's Mitch Garrett's. But oh, that, I'm sorry, that is a Garrett's page. You're right. But just they just he literally just just zooms in on, on the image next. There, there, there is. Did you not read Mister Miracle? <laughs> but do you know? But you know why he's doing that, right? Because it's funny to me. He's. He, you know why he's doing that though, right? Why? Because he's zooming in on the Luther probe behind him. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, but that is a that's a Mitch Garrett's thing that we're like he will copy. Yes. The same panel several times. Right. But it, but but this with the zoom in is just funny to me. Yeah. But it, it is oh. a very Garrett thing. It's a, it's a good it's a good observation. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I think. Like Bruce climbing up the mountain and then seeing uh, one of his like original trainers who trained him in in martial arts, but it's an imposter. But if you go back and if you read like the detective slash Batman run, that was I think that was Denny O'Neill where that happened. Like the kid looks exactly like I think it was Chu Chin Lee was the name of the character. Looks exactly like that. And then you find out it's not them. I think that's such a great moment for like uh, Batman's history. He did a similar thing in Nightfall, of course, where he like went to train with um, what was her name? I can't remember now, but she trained with. Uh... Damn it! And anyway, anyway, it's a very again. This is like thematic repetition with Batman, but in a way that really agrees with me. And like, it it is Nightfall again, but 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 in a vastly different way and, and throwing Thomas Wayne in there and having this, I just feel like this is what we've kind of been talking about that we've wanted for the longest time. And it's, it's delivering now. And you know what, if Tom King's Batman run starts at issue 75, <laughs> so be it. I don't know. I mean, doesn't, yeah, I'm doesn't there. isn't this what makes our show great though? Like we don't just, We've talked about this before, but like, we've hated this run, but we're gonna give it a fair shake when it actually entertains one or two of us, right? Sure. So I'm only I'm just being honest, you know. I'm not I'm not trying to 
I, I read this comic and I immediately wanted to read the next issue. And and sev- issue 76 is going to be one of my most anticipated issues of a comic whenever it comes out. Hmm. I can't believe I'm saying it, but... Well, we broke the podcast. Yep. <laughs> I, I also can't believe the nightmares arc happened, you know? <laughs> right. That's... I think it'll be very interesting to see how this arc shakes out. Like, if this was just an enjoyable first issue introduction of concept, and it will get, you know, just exhausting after this. Or what? We'll see. Um, anyway, let's jump over to Collapser, number one, the new young animal story. Um don't call it Vertigo. It was never Vertigo. Uh, <laughs> written by Mikey Way and Sean Simon. Illustrated by Elias Karazis. Um, I enjoyed this book much more than I expected to. I, I think that it really leaned onto the fact that he's a DJ in the solicits. And I thought it was going to be something very different than this. I actually forgot. Like I, I tried to read this book without thinking about what I remembered from the plot of it, like from the solicits and all that. And I think that it mm-hmm. it laid out a, a, a really compelling main character. I thought it took a weird twist in the middle of it. I really enjoyed it, and I thought it looked really cool. Vince, what did you think of this book? Yeah, I loved it. Here's another one I loved. Um, I One of the things that I, I really like that this book does is it brings back the thought bubble. Which is something that I was like, just talking about the thought bubble yesterday. Really? To Matthew Malikoff, yes. Ah, nice. Uh, in re- in relation to this book, or no? I, in I, I've been reading a lot of old Superman books lately, and I feel like early '90s Superman had by far the most thought bubbles per page of any comic in history. <laughs> You're getting jurgens. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, but the thought bubble is a thing that like. Of course, it hasn't completely disappeared from comics, I guess, but like it's almost totally gone. It's almost totally gone. And consider, uh, you know, the way that like Stan Lee used to write, like like Spider Man. Sp- Spider Man is like the thought bubble king. He's swinging around New York. He's having all these thoughts, you know. Um, in fact, Spider Man might be one of the few places where you sometimes see it these days. But even then, like even then, he's usually like talking to himself, right? Yeah. But it is something that really, like, over the years, writers have stylistically decided to move away from, and it's interesting because some writers do that in an effort to showcase the art a little more and uh, to get away from this overly expositiony, explainy kind of unnecessary dialogue when the art can can carry some of that, you know. Other writers, I think, do it just for realism. Like, hey, people don't really, like, it It seems kind of lame to read a guy uh, talking to himself in his head. You know, it's just, it. as we moved towards the 90s and the 2000s, we started to get into this, like, kind of realism aspect, you know, in all the movies and everything, but also in the comics, 
right? Mm-hmm. There were techniques that 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 styles of writing that disappeared over the years. And then you got the Bendis style to replace it and a bunch of writers writing in that style. But what I love about Collapser is not only is it not afraid to to do the uh, thought bubble thing, it's doing it not for exposition reasons, but I believe, and I don't I don't know, I don't want to pin it down to any behavioral health issue in specific because I don't think they defined if this character is suffering from any sort of mental health issues or anything like that. But it very much comes across as a, a, a guy who has some sort of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Every everywhere he goes, he's analyzing everything he sees and says and does, and is thinking, and he's doing it in this very frenetic way. I feel like I feel like even the sentence structure, you know, it's very staccato, like you said about the Tom King dialogue, but here it's used for a different purpose. It's it's his thoughts, it's his racing thoughts, right? Um, it works so well as when I first started reading it, I was a little bit disoriented, like, Oh God, what, like what he's thinking a mile a minute. And then, you know, a couple pages in, I'm like, Oh, that's the point. That's who this character is. You know, um, it's, it's a way to depict anxiety in a way that I'm not sure I've seen in a comic. You know, I think that's a really creative writing trick that they, that they use here. Um, it's my, it's, it's, the book is great, but that's my favorite thing about the book, I think, is that that writing style that puts us in the mind of the character. Um, Zach, do you have any? Um, I'll echo everything that you said um, and talk a little bit about the art, which I loved. Um, I'm not familiar with Elias Kariah's how did you say his name? I Ryan? totally guessed before. Karaisis. Yes. Um, the art is great. So good. Um, like I, I can't like I'm, I'm just like flipping through it right now, and I, and I can't get over how good it is. I love the page uh, where they're in the club and the power goes out, and there's that bottom panel where it's all black with outlines in the pink yep. and blue and purple. So good. Um, I like the character a lot. Um, and I like how he's introduced. Um, they do a really good job of introducing the supporting cast very quickly and sort of minimally, I think. Um and really kind of setting up the whole situation too um, with uh, the, the black hole and what you come to find out to be his mom in the opening pages and um, you know, her design and the, the design of that uh, space night guy who's chasing him is so good. Mm. And then um, I have a, I wonder, I have a thought. I'm curious to think, to know if you guys thought the same thing. Ooh, I've got something in my notes here. I wonder if it's, I wonder if what you're talking about. What are, what are you talking about? Don't you think that the black hole man looks like a negative man? I had the exact same thought. Mm-hmm. I think that can't be coincidental that has to be intentional i would right because it's so angular the way that like mm-hmm. specifically yeah. especially how uh 
Negative Man was depicted in uh, the most recent Doom Patrol run. Too. Yeah. Like, it yeah. almost looks one-to-one. Right, and the fact that Mikey Way, Gerard Way's brother, is writing this, and mm-hmm. I know that, you know, those two work closely together. It would be interesting if this book is... You know, it's very much its own thing, clearly. It's doing some really interesting things, but, but if it's also doing some world-building in this Doom Patrol universe, that's a really interesting idea to me, if that is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I have a couple more notes. Brian, do you have anything you want to... You guys have said a bunch of things I was going to say. Uh, specifically about how good the art is in this book and also just generally the idea of this being connected to Doom Patrol somehow I think is very interesting. But go ahead with your notes. Uh, I was going to say, doesn't his mom in the beginning, she kind of looks like she's wearing a Booster Gold-ish outfit? I don't... Yeah, especially the headpiece and the visor the headpiece and the color scheme you know yeah that's interesting i don't know if that's anything or if that's but but i got huge like i thought like oh this is like a this is like a lady booster (laughs) but that that's probably not going to bear any fruit but that's just a thought i had um i also think uh there's an unfortunate Morrissey reference in here, but he's yep. somebody should tell him that he's he's freaking canceled. Yeah. Uh, I also thought like, what kind of DJ <laughs> is getting booked for a festival for playing a Morrissey song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and then my last note is uh, I like that he ends up at Stonehenge mm-hmm. at the end of this. And I just hope that in the next issue, the children dance to the pipes of Pan. <laughs> well played. Um, no one knows who they were or what they were doing. <laughs> Stonehenge appears more than 18 inches tall, though, here. So. <laughs> um, that never fails to make me laugh, by the way. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's a... Uh, it's a super fun first issue. I can't wait to see where this goes. I hope that there is sufficient room for this book to get to get even weirder, which I don't think is going to be a problem for Gerard Way. I mean, for Mikey Way, rather. Um, you know, it's fun. It's uh, I can't wait to dig into this more. And this also gives me hope overall for um, sort of what... Uh, what young animal can be going forward because i feel like this book kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in a way where it didn't have a natural antecedent the way the other young animal books did whether it was Mm -hmm. shade the changing girl or um the new like the new green lantern book they're doing you know but if this is going to tie into negative man and doom patrol that, that gives a little bit more of a clear path forward um and yeah that's it good book I'm glad. I'm glad it's. I'm glad it's out. I'm glad Young Animals back and in, in full force. All right, let's uh, let's jump over to uh, our penultimate book of the night, and that's Justice League number twenty-eight, written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by Javier Fernandez, and Daniel Sampier. 
Um, Zach, why don't you start us off with this one? Okay. Um, so I have liked this arc a lot. I think that this is maybe my is potentially my least favorite issue of the arc, just because it it does get a little bit wordier at times. But I also I really liked this issue a lot. I think it was a strong finale to the arc, just because of how how many stops are are you know being pulled here. Like the stakes are very high. Big things happen in this and. I was getting a little iffy on Snyder and, and Tynion's Justice League and whether or not it was actually going to go go somewhere meaningful, make a leave a big mark. And I, I really think that based on based on this arc and the preceding one, it, it it's doing that. It's gonna do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I still don't know if I love the Lex John Jones connection. I think that feels a little weird still uh, in this book, but I think that yeah, this issue uh, goes. You, do you agree? I, well, I I do I and I have, but I I almost kind of think that this arc has sold me on it. I certainly feel better about it now than I did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll say that I think that, like, I really like the role that it appears that Jaro is going to play here, and that they're like Alt Universe Kid and Starman. I'm enjoying all that stuff quite a bit. I think that's, that's the best trio. Yeah, yes. <laughs> very good. That's really fun. Um, you know, and I think that to tell that story, you kind of have to have the Lex as the Apex Lex or whatever story. So even if it's not the most, even if that stuff's not my absolute favorite, to get Jaro, to get Will Payton, all that stuff, I'm, I think that's a fair trade. And the story's still working. Even if it's not my favorite, it's still, like you said, Zach, the stakes are still high. Everything is, is everything feels like it's important and ramped up. And they've also had a really good string of artists working on the book. Mm-hmm. And I'll look at Javi Fernandez draw anything. So, you know, that, that goes a long way as well. Vince, what do you think of this book? Yeah, I uh, I mostly liked it. I, I, I love the Fernandez art. He's become one of my favorites. Um, I think particularly the conversation between, um, between Martian Manhunter and Lex is really helped by the Fernandez art, especially towards the end when uh, when John starts crumbling, you know? I, I think the tension in the art is so good in those moments. Mm-hmm. I was a little let down. I can't, this is a very minor point. This is very small criticism. I was a little let down by after Lex had absorbed uh, John's brain or essence or whatever to become the the final apex predator or whatever i kind of wish the design would have been a little different like he basically looks the same as he did when he was wearing the cloak you know yeah i kind of wish he would have like absorbed john and then like it would have warped him even more i expected him to come out looking like early 90s um brainiac 
Sure. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Yep. Something more like that. I think. I think. It's. It's kind of weird that his appearance didn't change all that much. But. But that's a. That's a minor point. Um. I just think that was an opportunity for like a really. Uh, nice. Design. Yeah. And a, and a nice final beat to end on. He should have um, been wearing. Uh, Martian Manhunter's clothes, a la Super Boo. <laughs> yes there's another one for you brian sure <laughs> say something about studio 60 now um, um it's just like how bradley Whiffer was using cocaine on that show <laughs> um but yeah i i think i want to echo what zach said about like the direction that this book has for the justice league and for the dcu as a whole i'm i'm really I'm really excited by the way that now now the the way that uh, these other books around the DCU have been referencing the offer by like basically showing the last two pages uh, pretty much the same in every book, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that part execution's not really that great, but I love that all these different books are touching on it, and I love that a book like Aquaman fifty this very same week references the greater narrative that's going on in, in Justice League pretty directly when Wonder Woman shows up. Mm -hmm. I, it really does feel like most of the other books in this universe are at least tangentially dealing with some of the same stuff, you know? Um, I think, you know, between Rebirth and now, it kind of lost the plot a little bit due to delays or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think this book is doing a good job of creating a status an overall status quo that the other books can kind of dip in and out of, but 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 reference with some some measure of credibility. You know, um, I love the role. I, I continue to love the role that Will Payton is playing in this. I think his it's 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 kind of like a, a Chekhov's gun situation because he's kind of been back at the base. And you're just you're waiting for him to you're waiting for his big moment, you know, yeah. and they kind of keep teasing at it. But I, I love that he's there and I love that he is seeing the end of everything, seeing all these horrible things happening, you know, and uh, I hope that I have a Will Payton question for you guys. Sure. Go for it. Do you guys get the impression that he is going to die in this arc? Oh, <laughs> don't say that. I got the impression that he's basically he's here to die. And they needed a big sacrifice, and he's a character that makes sense. He's he's powered enough to make an impact, but he's not important enough that they can kill him without relative consequence. I, I could see that, yeah. You're probably right. He's going to bring back James Robinson, Starman. No. Finally. Dude, Robinson's never going to do that, he said. I know. Although he did tease that he has, uh, and this is years ago now, that he has a Jack in Japan story he wants to write. I you've mentioned that probably a dozen times on yep. this show, and I can't wait when it ever happens, <laughs> or when it happens and like it turns out that Jack voted for Trump or something, and it breaks my heart forever. <laughs> so. uh, direct all your mail to Brian at multiversity.com, listeners. That's not our email address nor our URL, so sure, send it right there. <laughs> um, what do I know? I don't even use that email address. But you don't. Uh, all right. Well, let's let, let's wrap up with uh, with quite a place to wrap up. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number one, written by Matt Fraction, illustrated by Steve Lieber. 
Superman's problem. Yeah, well, there, there's a bunch of different uh, titles for this book, but one of my favorite things about any media is when you think you know what you're going to get, and then you get something that's different, that's surprising in some way or another. And while I think the tone of this is not all that different than what we got in the uh, Leviathan Rising special, this issue felt really different to me than I anticipated, and I really dug how different it did feel. So, Vince, let's start with you. What did you think of this issue? Ah, uh, predictably, I loved it. <laughs> um, I love the like several false starts that the issue got off to with the um, the great grand 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 something of Jimmy Olsen mm-hmm. uh, kind of prelude. The Superman's problem, Jimmy Olsen thing, where he's the pal who fell to Earth, which is a great. Yes, it is. It's a great, it's a great title. Yeah. Yep. Great boy reference. I love. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea that he's like doing this wacky space drop, accidentally transforming into a turtle. <laughs> you know that yep. that's such a uh, silver agey type thing. Um, I'm going to yeah. say something very bad about that in a minute. Just warning you. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going. All right. No, I, I just, and I love the, I love the, it's so comic booky. Just, just big sound effects everywhere. Great Steve Lieber art, very cartoony art, expressive. Uh, probably the best moment of the week in any comic was Superman winking at us. And then, yep. and then in the next yes. panel, it zooms out and he's still winking he's still at winking, us. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, like, uh, the boss lady is <laughs> like, calls him Smallville. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a very, like, <laughs> I don't know. This, it's, it's probably not, but it's like Tim and Eric to me where like he <laughs> winks and then in the next, like he's still winking, but it's like slightly back farther and it's, it's kind of like uncanny and it's, it's almost breaking the fourth wall in some ways. It and... reminded me of the end of an episode of Police Squad where they all freeze frame, but then just like <laughs> stay, and they're clearly just staying there, standing in position. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, oh, man. Somebody else talk. Can I say my bad thing before I let Zach talk? Sure. I don't mean this as a negative, I promise, but there's only one way you can take it, and that is a negative. Which is that the Jimmy Olsen like falling to Earth stunt felt like a countdown to Infinite Crisis, uh, countdown to Final Crisis moment. <laughs> Remember when Jimmy was doing all that all that stuff in that book? Yeah, but that wasn't that the good stuff in that book. That was the good stuff in that book. That's what I'm saying. You know, that it sounds like a dig, but I really don't mean it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this was delightful. This is very good. Um, I like love, love, love uh, Hawkeye, and I actually I really haven't read anything from Fraction since then. Um, other than like I've tried to read, I tried to read Sex Criminals and didn't really get into it. And um, what was that other book that he did with Christian Ward, I think Odyssey. Odyssey, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. See, again, it's the image problem. I just, I just can't. Um, but this, I can, and I got some Hawkeye vibes, especially in that uh, the last story where he is at the uh, the apartment in Gotham. Uh huh. 
um specifically there's like the one panel where the landlord is um sweeping the broom around trying to get the bat and one of his uh word balloons is just an ice skate (laughs) yep (laughs) that was a very pizza dog moment yes yeah yeah um but no yeah this is a ton of fun i do at first i was a little put off by all the false starts um but I actually I read this one and then I kind of like skimmed through it again and and I liked it better the second time through um, after I was a little acclimated to it. Uh, yeah, it's really funny how this is you know Lois Lane is happening and it is very it is in this kind of Bendis continuity and is more serious and this is also clearly in that as well because we have the the um, Mrs. Leone the um, kind of big bad behind the scenes who also owns the Daily Planet now and she's there but she's not doing anything menacing she's just kind of there as a um, you know comic relief character in a way um, she's just there to remind us that this is all in the same continuity exactly yeah um, and she should be I mean it makes sense she should be there she owns the owns the place um man lieber's art is so good if i ever i i feel like i say this like we say this at least once a month but if you had told me that this pair was going to be doing a dc book i wouldn't have believed it but here we are (laughs) yeah um i have a kind of a tangentially related thing so if is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we dig into my sort of tangent here uh, just the last thing I want to mention is I love I love uh, the comedic beat where uh, Perry White's basically ready to fire Jimmy, and then they remind him that like he's basically the only one that's making any money for the Daily Planet. And then he's like, "Jimmy, my boy." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It reminded me so much of like uh, there's a scene in Duck Soup where Groucho Marx is like making fun of the the, the wealthy dowager lady and. Mm-hmm. And then, like, then he finds out she's a millionaire, and he's like, "I love you, baby." <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's like that. Like, I, yeah. So, uh, my my sort of tangent here is, is it just me, or is DC moving to doing a lot of twelve issue series? Like, just right now, either between what's out or what's coming out, we have Martian Manhunter, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, uh, Metal Men. Um, the Batman's Grave book. Uh, we're getting a Dial lot. Dial H. Dial H. Uh, uh, Wonder Twins. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're getting a lot of these twelve issue series, and I think that this somewhat splits the difference between saying something's going to be an ongoing and then canceling it early, versus the sort of unending second act the comics can become sometimes, where nothing ever has a beginning or an end. So I like these twelve issue length arcs what do you guys think of this i i like them too i think they've been long doing them longer than we probably give them credit for it's just always been the like marv wolfman and denny (laughs) o'neill sure story you know (laughs) yeah the bad comics um but now i think and maybe it's not totally fair to attribute all to it all to Miracle Men, but I think that's a big part of it. 
Mr. Miracle? Mir- Mr. Miracle. It's Were you combining Omega sorry. Man and uh, Mr. Yeah. Miracle there? I am, yeah. Mr. The success of Mr. Miracle, um, I, I think, has made them maybe a little more interested in this format. Sure. The the thing that I don't like when they do, and we've talked about this on the show before a few times, is when the, the 12 issues is essentially used to tell one story. Um, whereas I think, like, I think I can trust um, Fractions' Jimmy Olsen to, to use 12 issues to... Maybe it only will be one story, but I feel like due to the format and just knowing what kind of writer Fraction is, each issue is going to feel, I trust, different, you know? Mm-hmm. It may be telling one overarching story, but we're going to see a lot and do a lot of different locations, lots of different characters coming in and out, I would expect. Um, what I don't like is like like the Raven Daughter of Darkness thing. Granted, I only read... <laughs> probably half of that but my impression from just like what i what i know about it and skimming it is that it very much mostly took place in the same tone similar setting throughout the whole thing and it it just came off as a drab and boring and then because it's 12 issues it's over long you know what i mean it comes back to my criticism where i think like most comic arcs should only be two or three issues long um, so it all depends on how you use the format, I think. And I think I trust, I trust a fraction to do really interesting things with the format, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I have mixed feelings on it. I, I like it for the most part, but I, I do feel like sometimes writers can't take too many risks in a format like this because you are so limited to... Like, you have to tell a, a consistent enough story for it to last an entire year, but you have to do something interesting enough to justify that it's there. And so you just you wind up with, with stories that don't go as as far as I would like in a couple different regions. But I wonder if some of these stories aren't this way because we're getting these interesting creators who maybe don't want to do just six issues or don't want to sign up for three years. That's how you get a fraction and a Rucka doing these kind of books. That's how you get Warren Ellis doing a Bat book. You know, you're giving them enough space to tell a complete story, but without either condensing it too much or making it this open-ended thing. Mm. I don't know. I think it's good. And so far, most of the books we've mentioned have been enjoyable so far. You know, at least thus far in their runs. Sure. So we shall see. All right, I've got next week's books up. You guys want to hear what's coming out? Yeah. All right, we got Action Comics 1013, Batgirl 37, Batman Beyond 34, Batman Curse of the White Knight number one, which we are going to try to do something interesting here. I'm calling out our pal Kevin Gregory, who's a who's a uh, a temporary denizen of the Garden State like I am. So, Kevin, this is from one Jersey boy to a temporary Jersey boy. We want to trade you Batman Curse of the White Knight uh, in, its, in, in its entirety, all eight issues for the entirety of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men run. We'll just do a straight-up trade. 
Um, oh, that's a great deal, baby. Kevin, you, you're going to want to take that. You want to, you want to take it. You don't want to let this deal. Let me tell you, if you counter offer, you're going to get a worse deal. It's like shark tank. If you don't take the deal we offer right now, you're going to regret it later. So, so take it, baby. Take it. Uh, books of magic, 10 tech, uh, 10 dial H five, the baby. flash 75, um, justice league dark number 13, Martian Manhunter, the aforementioned Martian Manhunter number seven, uh, the Terrifics number eighteen, and Wonder Woman number seventy-five. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a week. That's a week. Those are some comics. Those are some comics. Um, that feels very different than the week we just had, which was not a lot of issues, but um, everyone sort of felt like it meant something. Whereas next week's a lot of issues and a lot of them feel like nothing. <laughs> we have not read them yet. This is all just conjecture. Um, but we, we did forget to do our lists, and it's a small list this week. Uh, on the OK list is Teen Titans. On the Sandman Universe list is Lucifer. On the Jurgens list is Nightwing. On the Bendis list is Pearl. And on the Walmart list is Wonder Woman Return to Me. Come back to me. Return to me. I forget what it's called. What is it come called? In, come into me. <laughs> Come return, on to me. Return to innocence. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It's come back to me. Come back to me. Paul McCartney's come on to me. Call me by your name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Vince Ostrowski written uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Call Me Maybe. All right. Um, that's, that's two weeks in a row we end on a call me maybe joke. <laughs> we're not, and it's not over yet. We are, oh, okay. Sorry. We're gonna Sorry. do an extended Austin Powers riff now. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> Zach, how many, my, how many? Baby. How many? That Austin sort of Powers thing ain't my bag. <laughs> how many Austin Powers movies have you seen, Zach? Precisely zero. Oh, man. What? I wasn't allowed to watch that. <laughs> what the? Fuck? All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. New Watchmen style free oh, no. Patreon content. Uh, we get Zach to drink exactly one beer, and then we make him watch three Austin Powers movies. Dial nine one one and try to get all the Austin Powers in before the cops come. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's white, so they'll be there fast. Okay. Yeah. Getting you political. said it. Getting political on the show. Mean- it must be it must be that West Wing in you. <laughs> no, something sports night. No, I I have literally only seen I've seen the complete runs of two Aaron Sorkin shows, and they are Studio sixty and the Newsroom. <laughs> this sports is not a night. bit. Sports night is the good one. I'm sure it is. It has Peter Krause on it, who I love. So I'll have to uh, eventually see that. But anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. You can find Vince not on Twitter, but he is uh, perfecting his fat bastard impression for the next time that we get an Austin Powers kick going. Oh, I. Give us some more. Come on. Give us some more. Baby. The other, other white meat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bigger than you. I'm higher on the food chain. And uh, if you need to find Zach, you can find him uh, furiously trying to delete every known copy of Austin Powers from existence <laughs> so he doesn't have to watch it with us. But it's not going to work. 
This type of thing is absolutely arbitrary, baby. So, yeah. Uh, I wonder how that movie would hold up if I hadn't seen it before. (laughs) We'll have to find out through the eyes of Zach. Sweet, sweet, innocent Zach. The, the 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 key though the key to enjoying Austin Powers is watching it like thirty times when yes. you're fourteen. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so we so we need a time machine. We need uh, we got some work to do, but we'll do that before next week when we'll talk Bo- to you guys about comics Bat- again. Hang on, Batman's Booster Gold: The Gift, except he takes Bruce Wayne back and shows him Austin, Austin Powers, Powers twenty five times. <laughs> yeah. What if God was one of us? Yeah. Ooh. Ah. 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 Ooh.